Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrap SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. I'm Rick. I run a software-enabled services company called Leg Up Health. What's up, Rick? What's up, Tyler? Not much. Day full of meetings. Running a little late. Sorry about that. It's all good. I'm at the lake. Um, this at, is your family's, North, like yeah, your, your North dad's Carolina. lake house? Yeah, it's wonderful. It's, Did you grow I, up at this? Like, was this a childhood lake house for you? This house was not, but my grandparents had a house about four docks down, four or five docks down. And that's where my dad grew up and, and then where I spent a lot of time as a in the summers as a kid. This was built after like the year I moved out to Utah. Fancy. Yeah. Nice so, lake vacation. So you're just relaxing and stuff, or are you are you like just working remotely from the lake? I'm working in a very little bit in the morning. I thought I'd be much more productive than I am, but I'm not. And I'm just kind of acknowledging that and being okay with it. Um, but we've got a lot of toys here, boats, um, jet skis. I, I really like your water polo person, right? Uh, yeah, but I haven't played in years. But at one point, yeah. Well, we have a, a basketball goal on the dock so it's you can it's kind of like water polo but basketball it's really nice. fun I like love you can't that. touch the ground so you're, you're treading water and playing basketball mm-hmm. that's awesome yeah, people think about, you're crazy when you say that being able to touch the ground like ruins playing in a pool for me <laughs> oh it does yeah it takes away your, like any sort of swimming technique also i'm short so like if you can touch the ground tall people are at such an advantage yep <laughs> yep Cool. What about, what about um, you? Uh, not, pretty pretty normal week. Um, I guess let me run through some random notes here. So uh, last weekend was a support weekend for me, which I do. So everyone at the company has to do support, even if you're not a customer service person. But most people do one hour a week during the week. Um, I do. I join in on the weekend support. So every weekend, one customer service person is assigned that weekend. So I do this, we have like eight people on that team. So I do it like every nine weeks or something like that. And it's always just so eye-opening to, it's one thing to like do an hour of support, but to be the only one on support. So every single thing that comes in goes through you and you just, you see what customers are saying. It's good and it's hard. (laughs) So what what are the takeaways? Um, I mean, part of it's just like, nothing acute, just it's good to do this. Uh, I think early stage, you always talk to customers, so this isn't a problem. But when you get later stage, just I think this is a good thing to do. Um, The specific thing we're toying with right now is how to uh, limit certain types of customer service in a way that doesn't impact the vast, vast, vast majority of our customers. And one thing we've identified is, so we offer customers free, we will import your data for you. Um, And this is meant mostly as like an onboarding thing, Some customers are like, oh, well, once a week I get new leads, I'm going to send them to you every single time. And it literally takes like 30 seconds. It's, it's, it would be faster for them to import it than it is for them to send it to us. So there's just no benefit to the customer here. It's just wasting everyone's time. Um, So I started playing around with saying no to people, basically. (laughs) Like I, I didn't say no to anybody, but I sent people like, oh, I just imported your file just so you know. 
we're about to put a limit in place. We'll only do it your first three imports for you. And after that, we'll, we'll help you, but you need to do it yourself. So here's a Loom video showing how to do it. So I kind of started just playing with language and stuff like that, which was, it's hard. You know, when it's, when service is built into your culture, it's hard to say no to people. We had this uh, happen at Zane Benefits um, where we had a lot of people who in the early days of Zane Benefits before the, the online experience was really usable, uh, they would basically email a PDF with the <laughs> claim form information and mm-hmm. it would create all sorts of manual work internally. And you know what, what we ultimately decided to do was to, to limit the turnaround time on those and uh we didn't actually say put it put a limit on any sort of use of it but we did put a limit on the turnaround time um mm. we, we wouldn't you know it you know the earliest you would get it turned around and approved would be seven days um and then you know if you do it but if you do it online you you which we had you know it's easier for you you can do multiple at once and we can we almost can guarantee, you know, one hour to two hour turnaround during business hours. Hmm. That's, that's interesting. We actually were toying with something very similar to that. We ended up, if, if you limit it entirely, there's no need, but what we were thinking is just do it slower and slower and slower, the more imports you've done. So it's like, Oh, we'll import this in a month. Is that useful for you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. I think that that's a much more elegant way to do it, I think. Um, but we ultimately decided we need something stronger than that probably. Yeah. And I think a lot of this is probably just a product education issue and a Mm -hmm. a habit change issue. So um, the habits are hard to change though. And and oftentimes people react poorly when you ask them to change their habits. Yeah. And the way we've been thinking about it is there's kind of two different Way, like two different categories of us helping the customer. One is we are experts with the CRM. We know something you don't and we can leverage that expertise. The other is like someone's going to spend an hour doing something and you're asking it to be our hour and we're saying, no, that's going to be your hour. Um, if it's just like undifferentiated work that anyone could do, that's the type of customer service we're trying to pull away from because we're not net creating any value by doing that. Totally. Yeah. Um. And this won't be a. This isn't a growing problem. I'm assuming it's just a, a legacy problem. It's a legacy problem, and we've just kind of been on a kick of trying to figure out how can we get our margins a little bit better without her. Like we talked about, I don't know, months ago, we talked about on this podcast. How do you optimize customer service without making it worse? And so this is in that same vein of where's the waste happening, and this is some of that waste because we you know, we just raised the price to $15. We're hoping we can get by without a new CRM coach for a while. Um, and so we're doing all the things now to basically say, hopefully we don't need to hire that person until at least this recession's over. Totally. Yeah. So, uh, that was fun. Um, next up on my list, I'm, so every six months I give a presentation to the company. It can be about any number of normally it's like look back over the last six months, set some goals over the next six months. But the interesting part is like a deep dive into just stuff I've been thinking about that I think it like needs to be communicated to the team. So we've got uh, a partner meeting on Monday where I'm talking with the other three partners, and then after that we do the I do the presentation, and then after that I do a one on one with everyone at the company. So I'm starting to prepare for like what what might that presentation be about. 
and how, where are you leaning? Um, I've been doing a lot of this product brainstorming stuff lately that I speak vaguely about here. Uh, I think what I'm going to try to do is basically focus primary. Well, actually, there's two things. One is I want to focus on kind of the org chart. We don't, we're not very corporate, so we don't really have an org chart exactly, but we had a problem. I'm going to go down a rabbit hole here, if that's all right. Sorry, I'm talking so much. (laughs) Um, We asked, all the interns uh, have been, over the last couple weeks, had their end dates, and we asked for some feedback on like what could have been better. And they were all very happy overall, but one of the things is they were like, the dev intern said we didn't give them enough feedback on how they could improve. And we examined it. And the reason is I've always been kind of the manager of developers. But about a year ago, I stopped doing the code reviews. Uh, Robert does that. And so I don't actually see any of their, co- I shouldn't say any, I help them with issues sometimes, but I don't really know enough to give to say what they could be better or worse at. Robert's having way more contact with them. So it's time to f- formalize that he's going to become like the manager or whatever of that team and not just the person who does code reviews, um, which kind of caused a bigger, like, let's think about what everyone's role is here and how these different parts of the business interact with each other. How many employees do you have again? Team members? 19. 19. Oh, this is like classic. Yeah. When you get get to the size, it's like all of a sudden things that never mattered before now become important. And Mm -hmm. because you really haven't ever thought about them before there, it's, it's a pretty significant undertaking. You pull, yeah. you pull, you pull on a thread, and then you know it just keeps coming. And it kind of feels like a waste of time because if you're a five-person business, it is a waste of time. And I'm still in that mode, kind of. Um, the main thing I think we need to figure out is so we've always had about half the company is customer service people, and that's pretty self-contained. I think everyone knows what the deal is there. But then there was kind of what we called the product team, but that was a mixture of software engineers, DevOps engineers, and then like me doing product strategy and code reviews and design. And so I think that's where the murkiness is, is like, what is my, like, I'm obviously the CEO, but I'm also an individual contributor. What is my individual contributor role and how should people interact with me and think of me when I'm not in CEO mode? Mm, yep. Um, so I think what I'm going to basically say is I'm the product manager and Robert is the technical team manager. And I'm in the meetings to say, here's what the what you need to build, not as your boss, basically. Not to tell you how to build it. Right. That's Robert and the developers will figure out how to build it. I mean, and I'll still weigh in. I mean, I have some expertise there, but that's on them. And like they shouldn't view that as the CEO meeting with them, they should view that as the product manager meeting with them. Yeah. I, I went through the same thing at people keep, and this was probably more at Zane benefits than people keep, but it's a very challenging thing to make sure people are seeing the right version of you in a particular meeting because it changes mm-hmm. the dynamic of the meeting. It also confuses their roles and responsibilities and especially Roberts. Um, so yeah. yeah, I totally get what you're going through. Uh, do you so? Do you think clarifying roles will solve the the pro- is the problem really just cl- lack of confusion on who owns what? Yeah, and it's not even much of a problem. I mean, this is one of those things where you you want to get ahead of it, but it wasn't a huge problem. But I think there there are two things that will come out of this. One, it will unlock Robert. I don't think he's feel, felt empowered to like 
say, hey, something needs like something could be better on the dev team. I think he he might bring an idea to me, but he still thinks that's what he needs to do. Whereas Michael on the CRM coaching team is like, I have an idea. I'm going to go do it. So I want Robert to feel empowered in that way. Um, And then, yeah, I think the other one is just. It's I think for experienced employees, nothing's really going to change. We all know it's like on a sports team. You don't all have titles, but everyone knows, oh, that's that's the guy who shows up on time. That's the guy who yells at you if you're not doing your crunches when you're supposed to. I think the experienced employees have that. It's really for new employees to view Robert from day one as the if they're on the dev team, he's the person who's going to be giving feedback, who's going to be doing evaluations, that type of thing. Yeah, it sounds like the main problem, though, is unlock Robert. You, 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 the problem is Robert has a hundred percent to give, but he's, he's not able, and he, you're not setting it up to setting him up to give a hundred percent. And right. if, if do whatever you, you have to do something different. So that's, that's great. If it's as simple as clarifying, you know, your role relative to his and his role relative to the rest of the team, that'd be great. Yeah. I, I hope it's that simple. I've been, I've been really gun shy about this historically because the reality is the team is full of leaders, not necessarily managers, but like every person on the team is really talented, has their own skill set, And I've always kind of viewed, well, if I like Robert's not getting any more money for this or anything, but it still might feel like a promotion. And I have always w- worried, does it feel like now there's this hierarchy and the other people didn't do well enough? And at this point, I'm just like, everybody knows the deal here. Robert likes management stuff and the other people don't. So I, I think it's fine. <laughs> well, I, I think that's worth maybe you know ranting about a little bit as part of your company presentation, the difference between managers and leaders and how they are not the same thing. That's a, good a manager. Point. Yeah. Uh, you know, a manager can also be a leader, but uh, a leader doesn't, you don't need to be a manager to be a leader. Yeah, absolutely. It'll make perfect sense here too, because Robert is also our HR person. He, he his brain is broken such that he likes paperwork and like reports and stuff. And I think that's all you need to say, right? Is like that's the manager side of stuff, and the leadership side is more natural in what you're doing day to day. Yeah. So cool. Um, I probably talked enough about that, but the, the company presentation will be half that, and then half like product strategy stuff. And I'm I'm thinking I might do um, kind of a thirty year vision where we just finished the first like break it into three phases we just finished 10 years so phase one is done let's let's reflect on what position that put us in we're now at the beginning of phase two and then kind of all of these will be wrong right planning 20 years out in the future is completely wrong but just to kind of have something to get people excited and say oh if if we do stuff there's some future where something really exciting happens down the line that's great. Yeah, I love it. That'll be that'll be a good presentation. I, I, are you going to touch on the economy and COVID and social issues at all? Um, maybe. I'm not. I've already given. I gave a kind of COVID thing at the beginning of all of it, and then this week I send a company newsletter out each week, and I kind of said August has been terrible. Uh, it might be a sign that COVID's actually starting to like re-hit the economy. So I've kind of been mentioning it to people, but is there something specific you think you you think people need to hear right now? I mean, I can tell you, I didn't spend, no one probably, even me, like as a, as a friend of yours and, and a peer, I have not spent nearly as much time diving into the economic um, sort of scenarios that 
that yeah. could affect the company. And while you walked through it, and I walked, I watched your 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 original presentation. You know, I probably you know I probably retained twenty percent of it. So you know, you probably are feeling pretty good about it because of all the research you did. But it might be worth you know turning turning your sixty minute presentation into a a, a ten minute refresher that uh, yeah. just to remind everyone sort of. Hey, this is what we talked about. Here's, you know, nothing's changed, or you know, or you know, it's it's going like we better than we predicted it, or whatever. Okay, yeah, I think that makes sense. Cool. Um, yeah, so that's kind of my updates on what I've what I've been up to. Um, yeah, you re- to, you're just living the vacation life. Here, I'm, huh? Well, I'm living the vacation life, but you know, one thing that's it's it's got me thinking about is, you know, my family's in North Carolina. Uh, Sable's family's in Utah. It sure would be nice to be able to spend, you know, three months, two to three months in the summers here in North Carolina, and then the, obviously the winters in Utah. Uh, mm-hmm. But you got to have a remote first company to pull that off, and so it's making me seriously consider making like a pelt remote first. Um, it's been sort of an idea in my head and a kind of a wish, but. It's hard when you're out here and you're able to work and I'm not fully functional, but I could make it. So I was, if I wanted it, if I wanted to be, I think I, I think I'm going to have to, I I think if I want to live the life I want to live, you know, and that's, that's part of what a startup to last company is all about. Um, I think it's, I don't know how you would, I would do like a pelt and be, and have it not be remote first and, and still spend time and the the amount of time in North Carolina that I want to spend. Let's just toy with that idea for a second, because I think you're right, probably based on what you're saying, remote first works. But you could, uh, I think I told you I've been noodling around with an idea myself when the office reopens that something, it might not be this exactly, but one form of it would be Tuesday and Wednesday, you're in the office, Monday, Thursday, Friday, optional. So you can get up to five days remote at a time with like all year round. And then also saying there's like a long period where everyone can go remote the whole time. And the argument I would have for that is you can get the benefits of in-person not like without always every single day being in person. The key is that when people aren't in the office, like you, you don't want it to be where 25% of people are in the office all the time. You need it like everyone's here and then everyone's gone. I mean, and that works perfectly seasonally for what I want to do. I mean, who wouldn't want to work at a remote com- a company that's remote on, during the summers, but maybe mostly in office otherwise? That's a that's a really good point. Now, the, the argument against this, I think, is you lose a lot of the benefits of remote work, which is you still can only hire locally. Like yeah. one of the benefits of being remote is you can hire anyone in, anywhere in the world. I decided for me, that's not an advantage because we're hiring entirely entry level people. And like every, it doesn't matter where you are. There's plenty of entry level talent. But if you're looking for experienced people or something, that that might be something to consider. Yeah, that's interesting. I think one thing when I when I think about recruiting that I really want are people who are truly interested in the mission, um, in the and sort of what the the larger thing we're trying to accomplish. That is, you know, stewarding the shift from employer-based health insurance in the United States to individual coverage. And I feel like that's going to be hard to find in general. And so when, if someone in, let's say, 
Nebraska has that passion, I'd, I'd much, that's, I'd, I don't want to miss out on that person in favor of someone who's just, just because they're local. Do people, yeah, I hear what you're saying, but you want them to end up with that passion. They may or may not start with it. Like, are you going to be able to find that person in Wyoming that's already passionate about this or Nebraska or whatever? You know what? I haven't updated you on this and I should. One thing that is very different about leg up health than I've ever experienced Zane benefits or people keep is I'm getting inbound inquiries from really talented people about wanting to be a part of leg up health. And I have, and, 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 so, and they're from people all over the country. So, uh, and, and very, you know, what I would call top tier universities, uh, anywhere from five to 15 years work experience. And that's something I don't know what to do with yet. Uh, but it's people who are saying, I see what you're doing. I believe in what you're doing. Tell me more. Have you experienced a lot of that at Less Annoying CRM? No. I mean, no. We have to we have to do quite a bit of outbound to get applicants. Once once they know who we are and, and they're in, they're very, very interested, but they don't hear about us organically. We've had a few applications, but not many. And I I, I expect that's probably because you're targeting entry-level people. The, the people that are reaching out to me are people who who have been around the block and get, mm-hmm. get it. Um, they wouldn't, I don't think an, uh, I don't think a college student or recent graduate would really understand why, what leg up health is doing matters without it being explained to them. Yeah, that makes sense. You but know, so, I, I guess, so I, I think I agree with what you're saying here. I guess I'll just say, if you do hire an entry level person, I have found it's not hard to get them excited about stuff. Like you weren't excited about this topic when you graduated college. I wasn't excited about CRM. Um, if you just show people why it matters, I think an ex- a 40-year-old who has a lot of experience, it's going to be hard for, to get them to change their mind. But a 22-year-old who doesn't know anything, they're just waiting for someone to say, here's a thing to be passionate about. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. So- do you, do you have a sense? Like, do you want to build an experienced team? Well, I think uh, from what I've read, uh, re- remote first is not conducive to an inexperienced team. You've got to have people who are are you don't need to be trained on the basic stuff and know how to you know self manage. So, you know, I, I think I don't know is the answer. Uh, I want to figure right now. I really don't care. I want to figure out how to make this business work, <laughs> uh, which mm-hmm. is all about growth at this point for the rest of the year. And then, you know, but I, but I do think about this stuff, especially as I get inbound inquiries and I experience traveling and working remotely. Um, yeah. And, uh, but uh, I probably shouldn't be spending too much time t- thinking about it right now, uh, given where we are. That's true. It's, pr- I, I think it's not worth spending time thinking about what the business is going to do. It's great that you're spending time thinking about what you as a person want with your life. And then when the time comes, you'll, you'll know, right. It'll be like, well, I have these constraints that I need to work around. So I think that's great. Yeah. This goes in the pro category, being able to spend weeks, um, uninterrupted without travel back weeks, uh, in North Carolina is a definite plus of remote first. Or some sort of sort of hybrid approach, like we talked about. 
that's all. I, that's all the updates I have. Um, I don't have a ton. I, I guess the only other update I have is that you know I I really haven't started ramping up sales like outreach again, um, but I'm about to. But I did take a few calls a, a few weeks ago. Just got introduced to someone who introduced me to someone, and one of those introductions led to a referral relationship. Um, and I just got my first client from that referral relationship today. Hmm, nice. um, and that, so that was kind of an I- exciting milestone. And then, uh, so, you know, I had two, just to give you an idea, I'm starting to get some pretty regular signups to leguphealth.com, free account setups. And I've had my first person set up their free account and add their insurance policy without talking to me, um, which is a wow. pretty big milestone. Now, it was it was a group policy. So it wasn't an individual policy, but man, just the fact that someone found it online, signed up, and added their insurance policy, and if they had, if they had an individual policy, if they would have checked the box to make me the agent, that that's really exciting. That's wild. Do, do you know how they found you or anything like that? I haven't looked at the analytics, but I need to. Yeah, because it seems early to be getting totally organic traffic. Like normally it takes a long, long time to build up to the point where just random strangers on the internet are like Googling stuff and finding you. Yeah. I, I, it, it's got to be social media. That's the only thing that I've done so far. Hmm. Well, that's awesome. Congrats. Yeah. Do you, do you think that's a good sign? Uh, that it's social media or, th- or that, that they that, signed up just, it, There's just anything happening at this point. I mean, yeah, that's the dream is like all, if, all of the uncertainty you have. Are people actually looking for this? you know, will people is, is the thing you offer with your software, not your service of value enough to make it worth signing up and all that. And like, yeah, even if your conversion rates suck and you don't have much inbound yet and all that, like it's, uh, uh, what's the, I've heard an analogy for this. Oh yeah. All of the steps of the funnel are multiplicative. So multiplicative, you know, yeah, like they multiply. So it's like you have 10,000 people at the top of the funnel and, you know, 95% 95% of them move on to the next step and 70%. And each time you multiply, if there's a zero somewhere in the funnel, it doesn't matter what any of the other numbers are because it goes to zero. And you don't have a zero. <laughs> you may have very low other numbers, but you don't have a zero, which is like a huge uh, thing to to know about your business. That's great. Yeah, totally. Yeah, just, I'm excited cool. to see what um, happens when we start marketing this thing, which we're which we're kicking off next week. Yeah, definitely. Can I, I, I don't actually mean this challenge, but I'm going to challenge you a bit anyway. Like when we talked maybe two months ago, you kind of said you were going to just hustle on sales until you had 50 customers. And it seems like positioning and ma- like building your website and stuff has gotten in the way. Is that an intentional decision you made? Yes. Uh, so I, I did some outreach. Um, I have a, through that, I did it for solidly for about two weeks, but it was before I went full time. Um, so I was still at the time I was part-time. So what, you know, comparing it to if I really did outreach today, it was very little. Um, once July came around, I got pretty focused on the positioning project. And I also uh, was full, full fledged on the internship project and, uh, did some product stuff. So took my off the ball a little bit, but I think, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's semi-intentional, semi just iterative, iterating, and just taking it one week at a time and working on what I think is most important. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I think, uh, I hate, I wouldn't call it intentional, but I'd call it like just sort of iterative. I, I have no doubt that I worked on the most important things. Okay, cool. Just want to make sure. Yep. 
Uh, awesome. Any any topics you want to discuss today? Um, I mean, the only thing that's really the th- probably the most related to my comment earlier on remote work, uh, I and getting some inbound interest. I'm starting to get this and I just don't know what to do when I get a really experienced person reaching out saying, I'd like to help. I have these, like, for example, one of the things I could have them do is an employer uh, sales job. I wouldn't call it a sales job, a consultation, consultation job. And I'm getting just random inbound interest from small businesses in Utah who either offer coverage currently or don't, but want people to have individual coverage and what they would do with the leg up health as a benefit is they would offer our services and then make it available alongside a taxable stipend mm-hmm. uh, to to basically cover the cost of the of whatever they could afford of the insurance. But it would be the downside; it would be taxed. Um, but but I just threw out a price to some people, and I said, you know, setup fee, to, you know, depend, you know, varies by company. And I threw out two hundred dollars per employee per year um, mm-hmm. for the you know the white, you know, concierge, basically it's an outsourced employee benefit advisor. Um, yeah. Does that mean like you'd go into their office in, in, in normal times? No, no. It means that we'd provide excellent service to every employee and help them make a good decision, whether they made us the agent or not. And that we would put together some benefit, some, some benefit materials and, and package leg up health slightly differently. Um, so that it was an extension sort of offering of the employers. And anyway, we, you know, they, no one's bought, you know, no one's paid yet, but I basically have verbal commits from one out of the three already to move forward Wow! at that price. Um, so bringing someone in, in that role where I wouldn't, I, you know, I had to figure out how to, I have a no, no commission rule at, at leg up health. So no sale. So compensation gets hard early on, but I would love to figure out a way, maybe we can talk about it or brainstorm it for a second. Let's say someone came on right now. I can't afford to pay them, you know, in, until we start making money. Uh, but if they were in the employer role, that would generate cash immediately because it would be two hundred dollars mm-hmm. per employee on at sale, paid up front, with a potential setup fee. And and so, how would you structure something like that if you wanted to bring someone on part time, um, but you couldn't pay them, like? How would you think about that? Are you expecting them to close the employer or just to kind of fulfill it after you have closed it? In this case, this person would be uh, her, her particular um, experience is closing business. Like she, she has worked with employers on benefits. Um, So she would, so she would be um, sort of the consult consultant and then I would be, you know, doing the fulfillment until we hired a, our first coach. Gotcha. If it were the other way around, this would be easy, which is to say, I'm going to pay you a percentage of each person that you're fulfilling this for. But since you're not the one closing it, there's no conflict. It's not a commission, right? It's just yeah. like, I'm paying you for the work you're doing. Um, I mean, maybe this isn't what you're looking for. Could you only have the no commission rule for the actual insurance you sell? Like it seems different to me to pay commissions for the employer sale versus like, cause you're not giving bad advice that way. Whereas you, you really don't want to have a conflict of interest with the employees. 
Yeah. And I, I, I really do. I, I do want to go all in on the no sales, no commissions uh, mantra. So I'd like to figure out a way if, if I think that, yeah, I, if I wanted to, if I absolutely need to do commissions, there's a way to do it without violating my value proposition there. But I would love to figure out a way to, is there a way to do this? So that's like, Hey, your target salary is this, um, you know, we'll, you know, we can't pay it, but you know, we'll, <laughs> we'll pay, you know, a percentage of profit. Yeah. Obviously, if you do a profit share, but only for revenue that comes in through these employers, that's effectively a commission, but it's not a commission. If no, you did it, a profit it be, share, it would be on the whole company. Right. So if you did a profit share on the whole company, then it just comes down to, it, it still incentivizes them well, right? They want to bring revenue in because they get a part of it. The only question is, are you, would you be nervous to give up that other profit that they didn't bring in? And like, probably not. It seems pretty low risk. You don't have a ton of revenue to, to protect here. No. And I think if I ever got worried about that, there would probably be need to be a clause of some kind that says, you know, once we can afford it, we'll move you to a salaried role. I guess my concern with this is it's not different from commissions. Like it is, you, you don't have some kind of legal agreement you have to stick to. So using a workaround that's like technically correct, but not correct in spirit uh, it doesn't really serve any purpose. And I think that's kind of what that sounds like to me. Like just give them commissions if you're trying to figure out effectively a way to give them commissions. I want to yeah. push back on something you said earlier though. Yeah, go ahead. You said no commissions and no sales. I, I a hundred percent get not doing that to the individual. I think it's very possible. You have a thriving employer benefits business here. You have to do sales if, if that's the case. Do I? They want you to do sales, I think. They do. That's how B2B sat. Yeah. It's and just, it's, it's a whole different world. Yeah. And I think there's a difference between commissioning uh, advice mm -hmm. uh, on, on financial services versus a SaaS platform, like a benefit platform. Um, yeah. So I think it complicates the messaging a little bit, but it might be worth doing it to bring someone on at this point. Yeah. If I were you... My gut instinct is separate the service you offer to the employees, which is the thing. That's your mission. Your mission is not to go give benefits to employers or whatever. You don't even think there should be employer benefit healthcare, right? That's that's a distribution channel. You're allowed to do sales. You're allowed to pay commission. But the real thing you're passionate about and your mission is to help the employees get healthcare. And that's where you don't have it. That's what I would do if I were in your shoes. Yeah, that sounds right. I was trying to avoid that. But it's you're right. It's really just it's it's tomato tomato, in reality. Um, when you really get to the core, so yeah, okay. Um, I mean, if I can bring someone on who can go do that and bring in business, like what's the downside at this point? Maybe none. My, I would say do it a little yourself. Um, this is maybe my weakness as a manager, but I found. Me trying to manage people doing stuff I know nothing about, I tend to fail. And me managing people I know a little bit about, it works all right, even if they're way better at it than me. In this what case, it's basically that? like my entire experience is selling small businesses benefits. So like that's my they entire career. 
right? Like, okay, but you you haven't done this thing. You, like, you haven't sold anyone on this benefits product. You haven't done the onboarding. You haven't seen the rough edges. I just worry that it might be premature delegation, sort of. That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. But otherwise, that's my only concern here. Like, if if you've got someone with the skill set, you've got the leads coming in. And and you can pay them on a contingency where it's not burning your cash. Seems like you could make a much earlier hire than you would otherwise want to make at a bootstrapped company. Totally. How how soon if it's a January first? Like if that's when they become active, when would they? When would you close them? Like, could you get get it done right now with one of these? Uh, it would probably be November. Okay. Late October, there, November. So, so maybe there's a concern that these these people who want to work with you will be gone and on to something else at that point. Or like not at that point, but if you're like, I want to do the first six months of these. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I'm mostly just trying to... I, you know, I'm, I just don't feel prepared to, if someone were like, got, if we got to a place in any of these conversations where someone was like, I want to come on, make it happen. Like, tell me what, make an, make something, tell me how, what, what it's going to take. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and I just don't have a response. And I think you've given me that. Um, but I think you're right. Like, I'm just going to keep managing this myself um, until, until uh, I, I'm put on the spot and have to do something. I'm not pursuing this. This is more, yeah. uh, you know, just, you know, whenever you have inbound come in and it's good inbound, you don't want to let it go, but sometimes you just have to. Yeah. How much, how much of your time would it take you to handle the inbound? I mean, it seems like a huge opportunity and potentially your whole model. In the well, future. the inbound in this case is I would people wanting to work at leg up health. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Yeah. I hear you. I mean, if people are already saying this, they're going to be saying it six months from now too. That's yeah. very exciting. That's I, I I guess you're just really well networked and stuff, but I've never experienced anything like that where there's kind of just buzz building about what you're doing. Yeah, and I, I don't know that there is. The people that have reached out, I had no previous connection with. So um, it's really interesting. I, I can't explain it. Hmm. You should do a, uh, a mom tester, like some kind of customer interview with them to be like, what what happened such that you reached out to me here? That's a good point. Yeah, as I think about culture and recruiting long term, that that'd be really like. There's a product here, obviously, that could be as a, as an employer that could be a better mark, better positioned and validated. Yeah, dude, the employer side of this is. I, I'm surprised that two hundred dollars a year is not a problem for them. Not that it's that much money, but just that like you're also getting paid from the policies, so you're kind of double dipping here. This is beautiful. <laughs> Yeah, but but it's not guaranteed that that the employees will go with us, and it's actually better for the employer not to not to require it. And what the last thing the employer wants is us, you know, being incentivized in any way to you know steer them towards our our agency. Absolutely, but they're going to use you. Not everybody, but they're either going to take zero support. They're like, I'm going on the marketplace, and and you, there's zero cost for you. Or they're going to use you and like, like, I just can't imagine a scenario knowing how healthcare literate the average American is 
where they're like, this person helped me, but now I'm going to go find a different insurance agent. Like, it's not going to happen. Well, the, the, I think the big thing that they're paying for, this is what I, what I was trying to explain this to someone. It's it's not leg up health consumer services. It's leg up health outsourced employee benefit, you know, employee advisor. And, yeah. uh, and you got to think about that. That's a recurring thing every year. Every time you hire someone, um, every open enrollment, every time there's a life event, they come to the owner or they come to the HR person, or there's usually not an HR person in this case, but like they come to someone who's not qualified to deal with it. And, you know, not ha- being able to say like, oh, this is, this is, le- this is why we pay leg up health, call them and, and be, be able to trust that we're going to actually take care of the employee. That's a big deal. I, I agree. I mean, it's a great value proposition, but like this is on par with what you charged at, at Zane Benefits where you were offering like a SaaS product and tax benefits and stuff. I'm not saying you won't get it. I'm just saying this is like, this is phenomenal. This, if, if you can do this, like this, this could is be the, the thing, whole business. This is the thing we got wrong at Zane Benefits and people keep. This is pe- the, the business and their employees don't care about the tax benefits. What they care about is the yeah. insurance, the, you know, and if uh, we got that wrong. Yeah. It seems so obvious in retrospect. <laughs> like, yeah, they don't even understand how tax benefits work. Like, how could they appreciate it? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, it's it, it, looking back, it's like every every uh, opportunity we had, and we 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 served probably five to ten thousand businesses over the course of the twelve years there, and you know, every single time. They're more interested in like understanding how the health insurance would work than how our pro- how the platform we had spent millions of dollars building worked. Hmm. There's definitely a lesson there, yep. <laughs> and they would ask about it, right? They were telling, they were saying, "This is the thing I want." Well, can you help my employees by health insurance? They were like, "Nope." <laughs> but we had, we had to, to do that. Now. We did that, yeah. but to avoid um, regulation by the states, because we could never have offered our tax product. Uh, uh, if we had been state regulated because the state would have shut us down. Okay. Interesting. I'm trying to think, are there things that cust? we definitely say no to customers. Like you have to say no sometimes, but is there something that people are like way, way into that we're not taking seriously enough? I'm, I'm going to have to examine that a little. It's, it's really interesting. You kind of develop, you have a good reason for making a decision at some point at your company. Those reasons went away when the Affordable Care Act passed in 2014 for for people keeping same benefits. And, you know, we, we, we never seriously re-examined the decision. We, we tested it a little bit and we decided not to, but you know, now what, knowing what I know, we didn't really look into it um, like I am now. And uh, man, that, you know, I wonder, I mean, we probably could have doubled people keeps revenue over the course of a year or two by just focusing on health insurance and doing the exact same thing we were doing. Wow. I think my version of this, if I had to say, would be email marketing. Mm-hmm. So we, we won't do it because people would use it to spam. But to your point, what if in the future there's a way to reach customers that has a good spam mitigation system? We should jump on that immediately. Yep. Cool. Uh, great. I, I don't have any topics for today. I've had a pretty uneventful week. Do you have anything else you want to you wanna dive into? Let's see. Uh well, it's kind of related to the spam thing. I mean, we've talked about this a couple of times, but I just want to talk about it one more time. How do you network without annoying people or getting annoyed? 
You know a lot more about this than me. I can talk about getting annoyed. I'm an expert yes. at that. Yes. <laughs> How do I avoid annoying people like you? Am I the type of person you're trying to network with? Because my problem is I don't think I want to network. We actually had we had a conversation over email not that long ago where you put me in touch with or offered to put me in touch with someone. And I was like trying to figure out, should I have a conversation with this person? What I realized is just like, even if I had a relationship with them, I'm not going to do anything with that. So like what, like it was very generous of you to offer the connection, but I was just like, what am I going to do with a connection? (laughs) (laughs) Whether I was right or wrong, that's kind of the attitude I take. So like, is it possible to network in an unannoyed way? Were you annoyed by that in any way? Not by you doing it. No, absolutely not. All of the relationships I have formed like that weren't a business necessity, so not a customer coming to me, not an employee we hired, but like random people that I don't necessarily have to talk to, but I do. Every single one I can think of that I've formed recently started on Twitter, which is weird to say, because like if I'd said that five years ago, I'd have been like, Twitter's worthless. What are you talking about? But does that count as networking for you? Oh, yeah. I think I think you're, you're probably a networker on line um via twitter so tell me about how you approach twitter when you want to talk to someone um that you don't already know or are you just sort of Mm -hmm. avoiding that at all costs i'm i wouldn't say i'm very proactive about this but i have paid attention to like what works on me and like what i've given uh for example some employees who want to kind of build their presence a little bit more i've given them some suggestions here and i think what works on me is so people think that if you sign up for Twitter, you have to go out and start tweeting and that people are going to follow you. And I think tweeting is worthless. Like tweeting to the general public, to your followers, not not a big part of this, to, to networking. Maybe it's a way to build a big audience, but to actually meet people, what I found is it's replying to things they do. So if you just follow a bunch of people and reply in thoughtful ways and say interesting things and ask questions, most people will reply back. And then... Do that three times and they know who you are all of a sudden. Like a bunch of people have done that to me and now I know them and I maybe haven't met them in person, but I'm like kind of online friends with them. Totally. And that's exactly what I think what you just said is exactly what you would do at a network event or on any other social platform. You don't don't go around spewing, you know, garbage in every conversation. You go around and you... You pass someone once and you ask them a question and you pass them again, you ask them a question. And by the third time, they're like, tell me a little about you. What's the real life equivalent, though, of like following someone, waiting for them to say something you're interested in and then engaging? Because that's what I think I struggle with with networking is like if you're in person, you're face to face looking at each other and it's like, I don't have anything to say. You say something. <laughs> it's called stalking. In-person stalking? Uh, yeah, in-person stalking. That's what it is. You, um, I mean, at an event, it's it's eavesdropping. Uh, do you actually do that? You like you, you listen in and then jump in if... Well, I think... Uh, I think... Yeah, I think it's... And then it's also knowing... like Generally, if at a networking event, you can... Before you go, you know who's attending. But if you don't, you can find... You can see someone's name on their name tag. You can look them up on your phone in the corner and you can go up, up and say, Hey... You know, just looked you up. I saw you're interested in this. You know, I'm actually genuinely interested in that. May I ask you a few questions? I think that's what's hard for me about in person is 
like th- that sounds like it could work, but it's a little more, it's a little less targeted because it's kind of like, I know a thing about you. And so I'm going to start a conversation rather than you already started a conversation. I'm going to jump in and add on to it. Yep. But I guess maybe that's, that's just what it has to be. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, I think a lot of, a lot of times, I think one thing you said that was really powerful on the Twitter thing is that you, you make passes, you don't, you don't expect a reply and you don't really get, you know, a relationship out of it until maybe the third or fourth interaction. I think, uh, in, in person is very similar in that. I think a lot of people expect too much out of the first interaction. The first interaction might just be, Hey, how are you? What's your name? Great. You know, where are you from? How's the weather? And that's just, you do that and then you walk away and then the next interaction, it, it, you know, it, the context might be what, you know, listening in on a conversation that's already happening, uh, you know, you know, having a shared experience, maybe something happens and you strike up another conversation and maybe it goes a little further. And then, you know, at some point it turns into a comfortable, you know, relationship. That actually sounds like an even earlier phase of the Twitter version, which is if you're not ready to say something, just like some of their tweets. Yep. And, you know, if, if someone has 100,000 followers, they're not going to notice. But like every person who likes one of my tweets, I notice. And I mm-hmm. there are a handful of people who listen to this podcast who like maybe once a week. And I, I know them by name, even though I've yep. never talked to them before. Yeah, so maybe here. that's the how's the weather conversation. And then there's like, whatever the next one is kind of the equivalent of replying and actually getting into a real thread. And then for me, the next step is normally a DM either they DM me or I DM them like, Hey, so like we've kind of talked on Twitter. I'm starting a new product. I was just wondering if we could talk for 30 minutes and I could get your thoughts. And I'm like, yeah, I know you let's do it. Yeah. I'm I'm, the people that I'm most weary of are the people who in one message, they say very, they say as little as possible to tell me that they've done a little bit of research and then they ask to get on a phone call. Those two things together make me go, Ugh. and the, the the third thing that they do that gets me on a phone call is that they mention someone recommended they reach out, and then I then I schedule the phone call, and fu- you know half the time they don't fucking show up for the call, <laughs> you know, and they're like, or they're rescheduling it like one hour before the call, and I'm just like, mm-hmm. dude, you asked for this call, you're re- like this is the second time you've rescheduled it. Why don't we just stop rescheduling it? Because neither of us are that interested in talking to each other at this point. Um, and, or they get on the phone and they totally bait and switch. So there is definitely like, I think there are things that you like, there's probably some don'ts here yeah. that are more, are just as important as the do's. Can you think of any? Well, I mean, you just said, I get this all the time as a sales tactic. Someone will email me and be like, I was just talking to Bracken my, my co-founder and like he thought and I'm like Bracken doesn't even have a fucking phone number you were you were not just talking to Bracken and so it's like an immediate mark as spam um I think basically don't like obviously don't do anything misleading but don't misrepresent what your interest is if you want to sell me something tell me you want to sell me something because I'm going to figure it out eventually um so don't yeah I mean you said it don't jump to don't jump to that step right away. If you're not willing to build a relationship, nah. What I do to handle what you just said is I'll say, let's like, I'm happy to talk, but let's get it started over email. 
And that kind of gives them a chance. Because the, the downside of this, there are a lot of people who don't know this etiquette. People who aren't in tech yet, college students, and you don't want to punish them for what they don't know, but you do want to kind of educate them. So I think it's nice to give them a chance to say, let's actually build a relationship the passive way first. Most people, like you say, aren't genuine and, and they bail at that point. Totally. I, I, uh, I've been, I've actually been doing that lately. And the ones who say absolutely uh, and, and are really interested, I mean, that those turn into some really interesting email threads. The ones who don't, they, you know, after another email or two, they're like, can we jump on a call? And it's just like, for what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> why? Tell me why. Yeah. Um, in terms of your original question, though, of how do you network without annoying people? I, yeah, I think that model works. I still don't know how to do it in person. I think I, I just lack the social grace for it, but it sounds like you sort of have it figured out. Do you have a problem, though? Like, is this not working yeah. for you? Well, no, I, I guess uh, one of the things that, that Lena is starting to do is reach out to real estate agents in Utah. Um, and, you know, it's kind of interesting. Like, you read two ways. Like, if I were reaching out to them one-on-one, I would... I am generally inter- genuinely interested in building a relationship with them, but I'm also, you know, wanting to, exp- you know, tell them about leg up health and and see if and qualify them to see if they're, you know, a fit. You're not talking about health insurance agents. You're talking about like, real estate other agents. types of insurance agents that would be your real customer. estate real estate agents. Oh, you said real estate. I'm sorry. I yes, okay. yes, real estate agents. Uh, and we've got clients who are real estate agents. Um, so. Like take that for example that we're reaching out cold to these guys via email. Uh, is this something we should you know where we should just come out and say, hey, we've got a new thing, we've got real estate's you know using it. Uh, you you look like you're a real estate agent. Um, I'd love to see if you're a fit. Peace. Yeah, this is this is so similar to a problem we have at Less Knowing CRM where we want to connect with our customer, but we aren't them. Like the, the the thing we just said about all those Twitter people, those are our peers. Those are other people running businesses. There are people who aspire to run businesses. They're not customers. Some people are like a startup selling to a startup. But if you're selling to someone different from you, maybe networking isn't an option. Like, what am I going to network about with a real estate? Like with, oh, hey, how about that PMI? Like, hate that, huh? Like, I don't know what to say to him. <laughs> you, you did not know what PMI was before two weeks ago. I did, but I didn't know any other term. That was the only one. <laughs> um, yeah, so maybe the answer here is don't network if you don't actually want to be friends with them. Yeah, but I do. Do you want to be like this? Is it sounds like sales to me? Well, I I do want like I want my early first one hundred customers to be very much a part of Leg Up Health. So it's very it is very intimate for me. I don't think Lena reaching out that way is genuine. Okay, but I don't know. Like, what do you have to say to them? What do they have to say to you? Let's assume that that um, we're not, for purposes of this conversation, we're not genuinely interested in networking. In that case, is this simply a pitch? What is it? Like, what, what's the reach out? Yeah, I think it's a pitch, but you know, there's all this literature around how to do a good cold outreach where you, you research. It's, it still has a lot of the same concepts. You research them, you reference some of their ideas. You can go to them and be like, you know, I like, I know something about you. You're, you're serving this area. I know you just do residential. 
you know, hey, my my cousin just bought something, whatever. But like even just showing you spend some time and it's not spam is kind of an equivalent to what we were just talking about, where you, you engage with them before they ask, sort of. But yeah, I think it is a pitch like. Because if it's not a pitch, it's going to end up being what you were just saying, where they're like, let's get on a call. And it's like, why? Right. Like, what's the what's the pretense of this relationship? Yeah, this is, I think, what I wanted to get. And I think that I'm in a position to do it a little bit differently than Lena, given our our goal, our short-term goals. And like, it, I want to know all the real estate agents as friends because I know that they're going to introduce me to other people. And so even if that, that, that doesn't qualify into a leg, leg up health lead, I don't care um, because, so- yeah. So that's the question is almost how do you make friends with someone? Like I think networking is almost a different thing from this. No, that most people like when you when you read about this agree that good networking is about making friends with people. Okay. Um, and the science behind friend making friends with people is the science of networking. Well, I'm not the person to ask about how to make friends with people, I'm afraid. <laughs> yeah. And, and maybe like what well, I guess is maybe we can talk just about in Lena's situation where I, I don't, I, I can't speak for her, but let's just assume that she's not interested in making friends with people, which I don't think she, I don't blame her. wouldn't blame her one bit for not wanting to do that. Mm-hmm. She wants to qualify people for leg of health. In that case, it sounds like the best way to do that is to, you know, differentiate yourself by taking a genuine interest in that person and then stating what you want clearly. Yep. Would you take yeah, any and, time and you to can... explain what leg up health is or would you just go straight into what your ask is? In a perfect world, you identify some kind of really common pain point and you get to it immediately and you say like, Hey, we're just looking for, for real estate agents who, who feel this pain We've got something new. I just like it's it's brand brand new, and I'm just trying to like talk to people about it. Like I don't think you have to be outright selling, but you, you should at least be like, I have a thing that I'm working on. But if they feel the pain, and which I think you've got, like mm, everybody yeah. in the world or everyone in the country hates health insurance. If you can frame it in the right way and just be like, I'm looking for connections. Just you know, do you even want to talk? I bet a lot of people won't, but. Five percent will, I bet. That's all yeah, that's 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 what I wanted to get out of this conversation. Thank you. Um, helpful. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, well, we're just about at an hour. You want to wrap it? Let's wrap it. Uh, are you going to wrap it? Wrap it? Oh no, I I don't have the expertise. You've got to do it. <laughs> well, I feel like you're good at wrapping. I'm not. Oh, actual wrapping. I'm good at it? yeah. I'm good at wrapping this let's, up. Let's make the outro rhyme, and then I'll. I'll okay. spit some hot fire. Let me write that down <laughs> to make sure I don't forget to do that. Um, hey, everyone. Thank you for listening. If you liked this episode, I have two favors to ask. First, please write a review on the podcast app of your choice because reviews play a huge role in helping other people discover useful podcasts. Second, if you know any founders or aspiring founders of independent startups, please tell them about Startup to Last. And if you'd like to review past topics and show notes, visit startuptolast.com. See you next week. See you.